I appreciate all these Sunday school teachers who week in and week out pour into these children. It is a foundation that is so important. We're going to touch on that a little bit this morning in this, this sermon. We're going to conclude our, our summertime series that we started several weeks ago about choices. And today's title is Choosing to Believe the Truth. Choosing to Believe the Truth. In the book, The Other Side of the River, there was a, a writer named Alex Kotlowitz, Pulitzer Prize winning author. He tells the story of, of two sister cities in southern Michigan. One of the cities was predominantly white and affluent. The other was predominantly black and poor. And these two cities were divided by a river, but also divided by generation-old beliefs about race. For decades, the residents of both towns had passed down half-truths and myths to their children about the folks in the other town. And by the time Kotlowitz arrived, the folk tales and fiction had become truth for most of the town's citizens. And yet when this reporter started digging, he discovered that many of the supposedly true stories of past injustices and outrageous cruelties never happened on either side. And because of that, the children of both cities had grown up on a steady diet of lies. It seems that the real truth was hard to come by. And because of that, they just simply grew up believing lies. I want you to hold on to your chair for what I'm going to say next. I believe this type of thinking happens in churches all the time. It's the kind of thinking that says, I'll just believe whatever I'm told regardless of the truth. And be assured that this mindset will cause us to believe anecdotal stories or even out-and-out lies as supposed truth, when in fact they're just that, they're anecdotal stories and lies. This type of thinking is not based on actually reading or studying the Bible for yourself. Instead, it's based on an unstable foundation of, well, that's what I was taught. That's what my pastor, that's what my church teaches and believes. And I will tell you that choosing to follow this type of thinking that is based entirely on what someone said with absolutely zero effort on our part to prove whether or not it's true will cause us to repeat the same mistakes that those before us have already made. Another mindset that can be spiritually stumbling, help us or make us stumble spiritually is, and as well as future generations, is the attitude of, well, that's the way we've always done it. And this type of thinking causes people to say, well, if it was good enough for my grandma, it's good enough for me. There's even an old song that used to sing. Well, if it's good enough for grandma, it's good enough for me. And instead of reading and studying the Bible for ourselves to discover what it really says, we just go on whatever we were told. Choosing to base our entire belief system on what grandma believed, as opposed to actually seeking out the truth and the word of God, is sure to cause us to make the same mistakes that have already been made. And here's why. What if grandma was wrong? If you read the first chapter of Deuteronomy, back in the Old Testament, you would see that as 40 years, after 40 years of the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness was coming to a close, Moses was now 
he was going to share some words with them, words of truth for those who were still alive. Remember that, that the folks that are still alive, their parents and grandparents, that the folks that he's now teaching, their parents and grandparents, had been delivered from slavery in Egypt. But because of their lack of faith in what God had promised and then choosing not to take the land that God had given them, because of bad choices, those generations had both died off. This was a whole new generation from what started off when they left Egypt. So as Moses recounted the events of the journey from Egypt, he gave them details. But he wasn't just telling them stories of the miraculous and even sometimes very cool events that happened like water coming from a rock, like manna appearing on the ground, and on and on. He wasn't telling them that those kind of stories just to get them to like him. He was telling those stories because they were true. He was speaking the truth in an attempt to prevent this generation from making the same mistakes and the same bad choices that their parents and grandparents had made. He was retelling these events, speaking the truth, not only, also, this is important, not only as a reminder of God's blessings, but also as a reminder of God's judgment. And what God still wants from us today and for future generations is for us to choose to be obedient to his word and to choose to live by faith in what he has promised. That is what is and will always be important, and that is what we must be teaching and preaching We don't teach and preach our personal convictions. We don't preach and teach our personal interpretations. We don't preach and teach our own version of the Word of God, some some twisted version that, that takes out what we don't like and then adds in other things that we wish would have been there in an attempt to make our version seem more popular. The Word of God stands on its own. We don't add to it. We don't take it away. And this is important that we get it right because when teaching is based on one truth, the Word of God, it will help us to build strong foundations. And as a result, that will help us to have strong relationships with God. You cannot build a strong relationship with a shaky foundation. It will also help us prevent, protect us against the mistaken assumptions that are frequently offered up as truth in the world around us. With that, let's go to our scripture text today, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. This is Moses talking. He says, these are all the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God told me to teach you so you may obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And so you and your children and grandchildren might fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his laws and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, to everything I say. Be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey. That was Canaan, just as the Lord your God of of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away on a journey and when you're lying down and when you're getting up again. Tie them on your hands as a reminder and wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So here in this passage, we see this whole new generation of people who are about to lay claim on the land that God had promised to their ancestors. 
a land called Canaan or the promised land. In preparation for them entering into this, into this new land, this momentous occasion, Moses calls for the people to renew their commitment to God and to the covenant that God had made with, with their ancestors. Verse 1, and we're going to start here. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says that the details of this covenant were expressed through commands, decrees, regulations. God's people were expected to faithfully obey these commands, decrees, and regulations because believing and trusting in the fact that if God said it, it would come to pass was going to be helpful for them. They needed to know that if God said this is what's going to happen, then they could trust that that's exactly what was going to happen. They were also to let these future generations, their children and their grandchildren, let them know that if they chose to remain faithful to God, then he promised his people long life and prosperity in Canaan. Someone might be wondering, well, why is that such a big deal? This was such a big deal because choosing to, obedient, to be obedient to God's commands demonstrated the authenticity of their love, faith, and trust in God. But you, you say, well, that was the Old Testament. It didn't end in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, Obey my commandments. It's the same concept. And the, even though we're no longer living under the law of the Old Testament, if we love the Lord, if we truly want to receive the promises that he has for us today, then we must obey the commands that he has given us. We must choose to believe the truth as found in the word of God as opposed to opinions, family history, or personal convictions. And when I say opinions, I'm talking about mine too. If I stand here and say something that I can't match up with the Word of God, don't believe me. And the only way you're going to do that is study your Bible. But I will promise you, I will never intentionally stand here and say something that I don't believe is exactly what the Bible says. It's not about my opinion. It's about the Word of God. So while the concept of choosing to obey God's commands is important for us today, there are some differences with, with with the people that were living under the law of the Old Testament and us who are living under grace today. This is important. One of the most important things is that because Jesus died on the cross, we no longer have to offer the sacrifice of animals. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice that washed away our sins, unlike the blood of animals that just pushed it ahead till the next year. Once our sins are forgiven, they're gone. They're gone forever. They're never to be remembered us against us again. It is also when Jesus died on the cross, it gave us the opportunity for us to have a personal relationship with God. In the Old Testament, they had to go to the priest and bring in sacrifice, and the priest would take this sacrifice and offer it to the Lord. There was no personal relationship. But now, since Jesus died on the cross, and because we're living under grace, we can have a personal relationship with God. You don't have to come to me and say, would you talk to the Lord for me? No. You can talk to him for yourself. Now, I'll, I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. But you ha can have and need to have a personal relationship with God. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 5, 17 that he did not come to the world to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. So now, because of the, the undeserved love and grace that has been shown to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we love him so much that we want to obey, not because we have to or out of fear. We love the Lord with all our heart, and because we love him with all our heart, we want to do what's pleasing to him. 
As Christians, we have grace, we have freedom. But it's not freedom to do whatever we want to do. It's freedom to do what we should do. It's freedom to choose to believe the truth or to pick from one of the tens of thousands of opinions out there that don't line up with the Word of God. So what is truth? If you skip ahead to the New Testament, Jesus actually quoted from this passage that we read back in Deuteronomy. He quoted, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It's translated in the New Testament with all your mind. Then in verse 38, he made it clear that this is the first and greatest commandment. It was kind of like, if you can't remember anything else I said, here's what I want you to remember. You need to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength or mind. This commandment that that Jesus quoted that we read back in, in Deuteronomy is called the Shema. Jewish people still refer to it as the Shema. Shema is the first word of Deuteronomy 6.4. It is a Hebrew word that is translated as hear, listen, or act on. And this commandment is still recited daily by Orthodox Jews. Many Orthodox Jews interpret Deuteronomy 6.8 literally, and they wear small leather boxes called phylacteries, just a little leather box, and they write the Scripture And they put it, that scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and other scriptures, they put it on their foreheads or on their left arm. They take it that literally, to write it on your forehead and on your arm. They also make little containers of wood called mezuzah. And in that little container, they would put scripture, and then they would attach it to the door frames of their houses. They took it very literally. My brother just bought a house a couple years ago in Scottsdale, and the the people that lived there before him were Jewish, and they still have a mezuzah on the doorframe of the house. So people still do it today. You say, well, that's kind of cool. Okay, it's kind of cool. But pay attention to this. Jesus noted this practice in his day. He actually chastised the Pharisees for wearing the law, but not obeying it. What was important to the Pharisees was that everyone would look at them and be impressed by how they looked. Wow, he's got the cool phylactery up on his forehead. And that's what was important to them. Look what Jesus said about that in Matthew 23, verses 2 through 6. The teachings of religious law and the Pharisees are official interpreters of the Scriptures. So practice and obey whatever they say to you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, here we go, on their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear extra long tassels on their robes. And how they love to sit at the head of table at banquets and in the most prominent seats in the synagogue. It was the, what Jesus is talking about here was the modern day version of wearing the I love Jesus t-shirt and then living like the devil all week long. We are not called to be considered a Christian by how many scriptures we can quote. We are not called to be considered a Christian because we carry a Bible with us everywhere we go or how big that Bible is. We are not called to be a Christian 
because we have the entire Bible in 14 translations on our phone. We're not even called to be thought of as a Christian just by how we look. Notice I said just by how we look. No, we are called to be thought of as a Christian by one thing, and that is how we live our lives in obedience to the Word of God. That's it. We are not called to take our salvation and lock it up in a little lockbox where it's safe and we can enjoy it and then come to church and enjoy the presence of the Lord and as far as everybody else, well, they can just go get their own. I got mine. Go get your own. No, we are called to be obedient to the word of God, to live a Christ-like life, to share the gospel with those who have never heard it, and then to pass it along to future generations. That, what Moses told the people before they went into Canaan, it still applies to us today. God does not want us to parade our self-righteousness around in front of people so they will be impressed with our holiness. Instead, God wants us to have a heart relationship with him because if it's in our heart, it will show in our attitude and the life that we live to those around us. If you're living a life that reflects Christ, there's nothing wrong with wearing the T-shirt. I wear this High Point Church or High Point Church shirts out a lot. I'll tell you what, it'll make you behave. I was getting some stuff for the church at Aldi a couple months ago, and so I, I put all the stuff up there, and, and she goes, it's for High Point Church? And I went, how'd you know that? It's on your shirt. Oh. <laughs> so if you're going to wear the shirt, make sure your life reflects what it should say and what it says. We need to have a heart relationship with God. We are to be a reflection of Christ, and I will tell you, take note of this. A reflection does not possess any outstanding qualities on its own. It's simply an image of something else. That's what we are called to be, is a reflection of Christ. The Bible says that we have no righteousness on ourselves. The only righteousness we have comes from Christ. In fact, Isaiah wrote back in, in the book of Isaiah that the righteous acts that we can come up with on our own, that we are capable of generating on our own, are as useless as filthy rags. Another important point that I want us to see today is that we are neither Christians nor righteous because we say we are. If you ask most people on the street if they consider themselves to be Christians, most people would say yes. Ask them how they know they are, and a lot of people will say, well, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil. That's what the Bible says. I go to church. Well, so does the devil. I'm a good person. And you know what? Those are good things. It's good to believe in God. It's good to go to church. It's good to be a good person. But the truth is what really makes us a Christian is that we make a conscious choice to have the character and attitude that Christ had. Not just do stuff, but it's in our attitude and our actions. Now, before someone thinks something that I did not say, let me be clear. I do believe that there are certain guidelines that we need to follow as Christians. 
but I think this is where some people get Christianity all twisted. The all-important command of Moses and the same one that Jesus said later in the New Testament is to be the most important one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. That hasn't changed. And here's why. When we love God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and the Holy Spirit is living in us, we will want to be obedient to God. We will want to follow the commandments that he has given to us in his word. Notice that it said he has given us in his word. There are a lot of rules and teachings in, in churches everywhere that are being tossed around that don't really come from God. We are to be obedient to the word of God. But in order to be obedient to the word of God, we need to know what the word of God says so that we can know what's from God and what's from somewhere else. In other words, it, whether it's in the natural or whether it's in the spiritual, we cannot be like the people in Alex Kotlowitz's book where we believe things that aren't true and then build a culture or a belief system around a bunch of half-truths or lies. It won't work. In this passage in Deuteronomy, Moses was telling these people the truth. He told them the truth of the events. He told them the truth of the promises of God and the truth of the judgment of God. The overriding message, as I said earlier, that message in Deuteronomy has really not changed. Moses' message was a simple truth, a truth that we are called to live our lives in total commitment and devotion to God. God was to be the center of their lives. He is to be the center of our lives. They were called to love, trust, and obey God regardless of what they were doing or where they were going. We are called to do the same in our walk with God. Their hearts, their homes were to bear witness of their unwavering commitment to God. Our homes should be the same. Not because we put a, a, a big sign out in the front yard with a scripture on it. No. People should be able to look at how we conduct ourselves and how we show the love of Christ, and then they will know what's in our heart. Our homes must be a place that bears witness to that kind of love. But while Moses told the people in Deuteronomy, it was true. And while the application in our day is true, it all comes down to believing the truth. You can hear the truth all, all you want. You can even read the word of God and know what it says. But until you believe the truth, nothing changes. The Israelites were commanded to teach the children all of these things so that the children would know how to be pleasing to God. It's what we were talking about just briefly with, when we dismissed for Sunday school. We are called to do the same. And if we fail to do that, where are children going to learn it? At school? I can answer that easily, not very likely. When I read what is being taught in a lot of public schools these days, I know they're not going to get it there. It is up to us as teachers, parents, grandparents, maybe even great-grandparents in some cases, to teach these principles to further, further generations, future generations. Because when we don't, we end up with a lot of what we're seeing in our society today. There are some epic moral failures in our society, but a lot of them, hold on, a lot of them 
are the result of epic failures in parents and grandparents. You say, ouch. This is not a new concept. It's not something I thought about, thought up when I was watching the news. Not at all. Watch this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through 24. Again, Moses still talking. He said, in the future, your children would ask, what is the meaning of these stipulations, laws, and regulations that the Lord our God has given us? When you tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with amazing power. Before our eyes, the Lord did miraculous signs and wonders, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land he had solemnly promised to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these laws and to fear him for our own prosperity and well-being, as now is the case. This is what they were to teach their children. The family is the most fundamental of human institutions. In ancient Israel, a household could very well consist of parents, the children, grandparents, other relatives, servants, and, and maybe sometimes friends. And this provided an excellent environment to provide for the spiritual instruction and nurturing of younger family members because it was important. The teaching spoken of here was more than just learning by rote or repetition or memorization. Verses 20 through 24 that we just read makes it clear that religious instruction involved exp explaining the significance of what God was saying. In other words, it was and still is a lot more important than just learning the story. What we need to teach the children is the why, the heart of the story. The story behind the story, not just do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, but teach them this is why you do this, this is why you don't do this. Modern educational research shows that people retain more when they understand the meaning and context behind the information they're learning. The adults in that day were to teach their children that every Israelite was in a covenant with God. They were to teach that God had freed his people from slavery and that he did it in miraculous ways, that God had always provided for them in all of the years that they were out in the desert. Even when they were disobedient, God still provided for them wherever they went. And then the children, when they heard these stories, think about this. They must have been fascinated with the miracles and the wonders in those stories. But it was the principles, the heart, the underlying truth of this story that Moses really wanted them to teach the children and pass on. I mention that for a reason. Signs and wonders and miracles are great. But what about when you're all alone no one is around, and you feel like life just doesn't matter. When we really know the truth that is found in the Word of God, the core principles, even in the worst of times, we know that God is there, even when it's quiet, even when we don't feel like jumping up and down and raising our hands, even when the music stops, even when there's no smoke and fire or signs and wonders. And it is in those times that most folks either stand or they fall. 
Most folks don't backslide in church. They don't walk away from the Lord in church. When the music's playing and everybody's clapping and singing and having a great time, we're all fired up. But what about when we're alone? If the depth, I want you to grasp this, please. If the depth of our Christianity is jumping and shouting, will we stand in those times of difficulty and persecution? From my experience, I would say no. I'm not saying that demonstrative worship is wrong. Not at all. No. In fact, it's great. As long as that is not the extent of your relationship with God. If the extent of your relationship with God is coming to church and clapping your hands and jumping up and down and doing a little jig, if that's the extent of your relationship with God, when things get rough and the music stops, what will you do? I'm saying that if, if, if that is the extent and the foundation of your relationship with God, you will be in trouble when the music stops. We need to make sure that when others see us, they don't just see the T-shirt or the Bible verses we put on social media, but instead they see a reflection of Christ in us. Okay, y'all decided didn't like it. <laughs> Thank y'all. Here's what I mean. If we have, let me back up. If we wear the T-shirt, of which there is no nothing wrong with that. If we put scriptures on social media of which there is nothing wrong with that. Those are all good things. But if that is the extent of our relationship, and when people look at us, they don't see Christ in us, that will actually work against you. We also need to make sure that the things that people learn from us are things that line up with the Bible, not stuff we came up with on our own. In order for that to happen, we need to make sure that we ourselves are following the commands of God. In order for that to happen, we need to be living a life that is like Christ. In order for that to happen, we must be living a life that is built on a foundation of truth from the Word of God, not someone else's opinions or some watered-down version of the truth, but the truth as it's found in the Word of God. Someone once said, a half-truth is a full lie. And so it is with the belief our beliefs as Christians. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12, that there would be those who would be greatly deceived by lies. He went on to say that they would be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Just believing what we choose to believe, even if we do it with all our heart, isn't going to save us. I have heard people say, you just believe what you believe, and as long as you do it with all your heart, you'll be just fine. No, you won't. The Bible says that there is only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. You can believe whatever you want, but it won't get you to heaven. 
Well, that sounds pretty narrow. The Bible also says narrow is the way. So, yeah. We must believe the truth. But we cannot choose to believe the truth if we don't know the truth. It is time for us as believers to choose to believe the truth, and in order to do so, we need to come to church and hear the Word of God preached and taught. We need to study our Bibles on our own. We need to seek God in prayer on our own and ask for understanding. There's a lot of folks, the only time that they get fed spiritually is when they come to church. Do you eat once a week? Don't, don't look around. <laughs> Husbands, wives, don't look over. I'm just saying, we feed these natural bodies most of the time, several times a day. But when it comes to the spiritual side, there's folks that are good with like twice a month. I'll move on. David said in Psalm 119, 105 that the word of God was a lamp to guide his feet and a light for his path. I have to believe that one of the main reasons that people wander away from the truth and into darkness is because they don't have that light to direct them. They don't have the word. David said, your word have I hid in my heart that I won't sin against you. Just as Moses called for the people in Deuteronomy to hear the truth, and to make a choice to renew their commitment to God. Today, I am calling for each of us to do the same. Moses spoke truth. But in order for the people to, to receive the blessings, the benefits, and the promises for them and their children, they had to choose to believe the truth. Not just believe it, but to walk in it. My prayer today is that each of us will come to a place where we seek out and hear the truth, where we look around and see that the truth of God's word is being fulfilled in our lives. And as a result, when we do that, when we choose to believe the truth, we will dedicate our lives to the Lord, we will follow him, and we will live for the Lord with more passion and resolve than ever before. And that is what I'm asking for each of us to do. Study the Word of God. Come to church as often as you can. If you can't come to church, watch online. Come to Bible study, because that's where we study the Bible. Interesting concept. But that's where we build a foundation. You cannot build a strong foundation if you don't build it on something that is solid. The Word of God is solid. And I urge each of you today, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, don't be content. Don't say, I got mine, everybody else can go get theirs. Dig deeper. Study. 
You say, well, I don't understand what I read. If you will get with me, I will help you find a translation of the Bible that is as accurate as possible and that is understandable. James, is that the truth? We sat down, and I'll let him tell the story sometime, but he ended up with like the coolest Bible I've ever seen. It actually is a parallel Bible that has four translations side by side. And so if you didn't understand this one, you can read this one. If you didn't, you can read this one, and you can read this one. And then the final one in there is one of my favorites. It's the message that everybody can understand. So there is a translation out there that you can read that you can actually understand a lot better than others. So there's no excuse for us today to say, well, I don't understand the King James Version because there's a bunch of others out there. I'll help you find one. And then when you get that, spend some time, read a few scriptures and say, Lord, what do you want me to see in this passage of scripture? What are you trying to show me in this passage of scripture? How can I apply this to my life? And then, Lord, help me to believe what I'm reading. I feel very strongly about this today. And here's the thing. I don't know where everybody is in your walk with Christ. I don't have this special memo that I get from God that lists everybody's walk with Christ. but I know that we can all draw closer and it should be our desire to make him the Lord of our life. It should be our desire to do what Jesus said, to to serve him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. When we do that, it will change your life. I promise you it will change your life. I talked to Christian this week, and he said, we were talking about baptism, and he said, you know, it feels so good to have made the decision to put him in the driver's seat. You can describe it any way you want, but that says it pretty clear. I have decided to follow Jesus, or I've decided to put him in the driver's seat. And I rejoice for those who have done that recently. There's been a lot of folks around High Point Church recently who have decided to follow Jesus. And someday when we get to heaven, I believe we'll see folks that they witnessed to and shared the gospel with. And then we'll have eternity to rejoice. Would you stand this morning? If you have never made him the Lord of your life, if you have never come to the Lord in repentance and simply say, Lord, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I can't get rid of them on my own, but I believe that if I will repent, that you will wash away my sins. 
If you've never done that, would you make that step today? That is the first step. If you've never been baptized, you get with me and we can make arrangements for that. That is a public profession of saying, it's changed in my heart and this is my public profession that I have decided to follow Jesus. And then it's about allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. If you've never made that first step, would you come today as, as they sing? If you need prayer, if you want to just come and pray, this altar is open. Would you come?